armor of God, on the armor of God. And this series, and we're going to go several weeks on this, several weeks on this. It's going to be really, it's one of the most interesting subjects of the Bible, yet it's probably one of the least understood subjects. If you're experiencing defeat in your life in any area, this message is going to help you. These, this series is going to help you. As you'll see, it's very exciting. But uh, one of the reasons Christians uh, suffer so and, and, and struggle is because they, they don't understand anything about the armor of God. I wonder if uh, I ask you, and, and I won't have anybody raise their hand or, or, or give the answer here, but if, if I ask you to list the seven pieces of the armor of God, I wonder how many pe- people in here could list the seven pieces of the armor of God and then tell me a little bit about each one. Now, see, if you can't do that, and I'm not here to put you down, I'm here to help you. That's why we're going to be teaching on this over the next several... And and the Holy Ghost spoke to my heart. He wants this taught in this church over the next many, many weeks. So I'm just on assignment doing what He wants done. But see, if you don't understand anything about the armor of God, you're easy prey for the devil. Just absolutely easy prey. Um, You know... If you've ever watched Star Trek, have you ever watched Star Trek, you know, and the enemy's coming in, the Romulans are, are, are you know, they're coming. And what does Captain Picard or Captain Kirk say? He says, shields up. How many re- remembers that? And if you, don't have your, if you don't have your armor on, you're just easy prey for the devil to come in and, and just chew you up and spit you out. So you need to understand some things about the armor of God. So that's why I'm teaching this, uh, so that you can learn about the armor of God, you can understand what it is, you can put it on, you can keep it on, and you'll be able to stand against the wiles of the devil and the schemes of the devil. How many of you would like to be able to do that? So, Okay, so that's why, so, so be here every service over the next several weeks. We might be on this for eight weeks. Would that be okay with you? Eight, I mean, we're just going to take our time and we're going to teach you about the armor of God. Now, I've taught on the armor of God over the years, but I do one service and we'd cover seven pieces of armory in one service. How many of you know you can't understand, you know, about the armor of God in 45 minutes, okay? So we're going to take our time with this. This is what the Holy Spirit wants done. So this series deals with spiritual clothes and more than clothes, spiritual armor needed to be able to stand against the devil's schemes and devices. Now in Ephesians 6 verse 10, let's read here several verses. This will be our main text over the next several weeks, the Apostle Paul and the Holy Spirit has him saying these words right here, right in these words. So these are from the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul to the church in Ephesus, but it applies to us because we're a part of that same church. Finally, my brethren, Ephesians 6.10, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God. We'll teach you how to do that. That you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. How many of you think that's pretty important? It's pretty pretty important. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up or put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day And having done all to stand, stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth. There's the first piece of armory, the loin belt of truth. Having on the breastplate of righteousness. There's another one. Having uh, shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. There's another one. Above all, taking the shield of faith. There's another one. Part of your armory. Next week we'll have a picture of, of, of this armory up there for you. Notice, take the shield of faith with, with which you'll be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. That's a, that's a good deal right there, having a, having a shield of faith. How does it operate? How does it work? We're going to show you that. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. So there you have it. 
We're going we're gonna to dissect and, and delve into the, these verses over the next many weeks. Now, Paul, the Apostle Paul, likened the armor of God. Now, this is God's armor, and he's given it and made it available to every Christian, every, every believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. He's made it available to all of us as believers, but we have to put it on. Did you see that when we read that in there? It, you have to put it on. You have to put it on. It's not on you automatically. You have to put it on and keep it on. And he likened this armor of God to the armor of a Roman soldier. And that's the time when Paul was writing the, this. And, and we'll have a picture of a Roman soldier up there uh, next week for you in his armor. And you'll be able to see it. I would have had it this week, but we had some computer issues. We'll have it next week. Picture. But we will study each of the pieces of armory in detail, as I said, over the next many weeks. But today, just some introductory material. Now, if you've read the New Testament, you'll understand that Paul mentioned the armor of God also in 1 Thessalonians. Now, we've read it. We've read about the armor of God. And you can take the verse down now. Uh, We've read about the armor of God here in Ephesians 6. But he also mentioned it in 1 Thessalonians. Uh, But it was not presented in complete and specific detail in 1 Thessalonians like like he gave it here in Ephesians 6. And of course, the question would be, well, why is that? And I think the reason is this. 1 Thessalonians was written some 10 years before Ephesians. So I think, this is what what I think, and some good scholars think this as well, think that Paul had not yet received the full revelation of the armor of God at the time that he had written 1 Thessalonians. He had some insight into it. How many of you know Paul was not God? He's not all-knowing. You need to understand that. Now, when he wrote under the inspiration, it was the Holy Ghost talking, say amen. But, but, but the Lord had to reveal things to him, and, and it's very clear. He makes that clear as you, as you read his writings. And so when he wrote 1 Thessalonians, he had some insight into this armory, but some 10 years later, he had a full revelation of it, and he gave that to us in Ephesians 6. So that's why we'll study from Ephesians 6. Is that all right with you? That's a good answer to that question, don't you think? Now in Ephesians 6.10, let's go there if if we could. Let's put Ephesians 6.10 back up there. And notice, what's the first word in Ephesians 6.10? Ten, the first word. What is that? Finally. Finally. Now, normally we'd just read that and just move on, but you need to understand something about that word finally. In the Greek language, the usage, the usage of the word finally implied this. Here's what Paul was really saying. Have you ever heard me or some other preacher stand in a pulpit and say, now if you forget everything else I tell you, remember this. You ever heard a preacher or somebody say that or a teacher? Now, if you forget everything else I've said, remember this. And that's what Paul was saying when he, when he wrote that word finally in the Greek language. He was saying to the church in Ephesus, now, now I've written you, essentially putting in my own words now, now I've written you five chapters, five and a half chapters here of good things. And how many of you know Paul wrote some good things to the church in Ephesus. He talked to them about salvation and grace and faith. He talked about family relationships, husbands and wives and children and parents. He talked about all those wonderful things. But he said to them in that that word finally, they knew what that word finally meant. They knew that to us it just means, well, now he's going to end his writing. But what he was really saying is, if you forget everything else I've said, Remember this, or this is to these Christians. See, they were already saved. See, to an unsaved, now listen, to an unsaved person, the gospel of salvation is the most important message. Is, is that right? But if you've got somebody that's saved, this, what we're teaching on over the next several weeks on the armory of God, could well be the most important message you could hear because by it, you're able to withstand the wiles of the devil. And so he was saying that, yeah, I've written some good things to you, but... You really need to hear this, and if you forget everything else, remember about the armor of God, okay? And so um, 
if we as Christians forget everything else in the book of Ephesians, and, and we shouldn't forget everything else, but if we do, we must remember the armor of God. You see, Ephesus, the church in Ephesus, in the book of Ephesians, so it's the, he was writing to the church in Ephesus, it was a unique church. Now you, you need to understand that. It was unique. It was miraculously founded by the apostle Paul. Timothy was the pastor and the Apostle John attended that church. And do you remember when Jesus was hanging on the cross, our Lord was hanging on a cross, who did he turn his mother over to? And John brought Jesus' mother, Mary, to this church, and she was a member of this church as well. How, what, do you think that'd make me nervous? I mean, it'd make me nervous if Joyce Meyer was sitting here listening to me. How, how many of you know I'd really be nervous times, I mean, punched to warp nine if the Virgin Mary was sitting there listening. Would that make you nervous? How many of you know she didn't stay a virgin? She was a virgin when she had Jesus, but she had other children with Joseph. Do you remember that? You understand that? She had sexual relations after Jesus was born with her husband Joseph, and that was totally fine. She was a virgin when she had Jesus. But would that make you nervous if, uh, if, if Mary was sitting here? I mean, I'd be a little nervous. W wouldn't you? Well, she attended this church. But yet this church, though as unique as it was, they had problems. The, the people that attended there had problems just like you and me, as we'll see. Uh, now, one thing I will say about these, these people, and you can get this from reading. You don't have to turn there, but Revelation, the second chapter, the first church mentioned there is the church in Ephesus. And Jesus, you know, appeared to John on the Isle of Patmos and had some things to say to those seven churches, you know, listed in Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3. The first one mentioned is Ephesians, and he, he said some good things about the, the church in Ephesus, you know. And they were really pretty good with doctrine. They were pretty good with doctrine. You know what I mean, doctrine? I mean, they, they were pretty good with... They were able to recognize false teaching and false teachers. They were good with that. Now, they did lose their first love. Remember, we could read that in Revelation, the second chapter. What's our first love? Jesus. They had lost, they lost their fervency. You know, if you don't keep yourself stirred up, you'll lose your fervency for the Lord. And you'll lose your fervency for his house and his things. Did you know that? You've got to keep yourself stirred up or, or you'll just lose. I'm not saying you'll lose your salvation. You'll lose your fervency for the things of God. You've got to keep yourself stirred up. But this church, though unique, had some good things going on in it. They had some problems. And that's why they needed to hear about the armor of God. Now notice, if you want to see the problems that they had, look at Ephesians, the fourth chapter and the 25th verse. And let's see if any of us have had these same kinds of problems. Ephesians 4.25. And we'll see just how important the armor of God is. Now notice this, because he told them, put it on, put it on, put it on. Well, evidently they didn't have it on. Evidently, they didn't have much teaching or any teaching really on it. They needed to hear some teaching on the armor of God. And because they didn't have their armor on, notice the problems that they had. Ephesians 4.25, therefore put away what? What? Put away lying. The first piece of armor we're going to talk about next week is the belt of truth. Have you ever met a Christian that lied? Oh, I've met more, I mean, I've had, probably had more Christians lie to me than heathen sinners lie to me over the last 30 some odd years. Don't have their belt of truth on, do they? Let each one of you speak what to his neighbor? Truth. For we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Have we ever seen a Christian have trouble with anger? Oh my. Don't let the sun go down on your head. Give no place to the devil. See, if you don't have your armory on, you're going to give place to the devil. I've seen myriads of Christians over the years give place to the devil. Let him who stole steal no longer. Wow. A Christian stealing? If they don't have their armor on, sure. But rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, 
that he may have something to give to him who has need. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. Have I ever heard any Christians have corrupt communication come out of their mouth? Yes, indeed. Oh, you're talking about cussing, Pastor Terry? Well, I've heard that too on occasion. Not out of any of you, of course, but over the many years. But you know what I've heard more? And I'm not talking about anybody in here. But have you ever heard a Christian gossip? All the time. Worse than sinners, I'm telling you. I've heard people, Christians, who know the Lord, they're born again, gossip far worse than any heathens. You know what I, when I say heathen? People that don't know the Lord. Well, well what happens? What, 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 what do we know when we have a Christian that's gossiping? They don't have something on. What don't they have on? Their armor. They have their armor on. Do you have your armor on? I hope by the time we get done with this, eight weeks from now, and I stand up here and say, I say, do you have your armor on? You all say, yes. Hope so. Corrupt communication. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for, the, for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. See, when we don't have our armor on and, and we're prey to the wiles of the devil and we got these things going on in our life, we grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you're sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be kind to one another. Have we ever seen Christians not be kind to one another? Oh, my. Yes. Oh, my goodness. My, my, my. When you have a Christian that's not being kind to somebody, what do we know about that Christian? They don't have something on. What don't they have on? They have their armor on. tender-hearted, forgiving one another. When you see a Christian that I won't forgive, what do we know? They don't have their armor on. Even as God and Christ forgave you. So what am I saying here? I'm saying here, and I've watched this. You see it here in the Ephesians church. I've watched this. Guys, gals, listen. I've watched this for 30 some odd more than that years. Not just in, in this church. And I'm not talking about anybody in here, but like I always say, if the shoe fits... Wear it, you know. But I've watched this. I've watched church, Christian church people that love the Lord, all right. They're, they're saved, all right. But deal with these same things right here again and again. Struggle with these things and struggle with these things and struggle with these things and struggle with these things for, I, I mean, myriads. You know what I say myriads, what I mean by that? Just, just multitudes of Christians struggle. I've struggled in these areas. Maybe not in all of them, but in many of them. And why is it? It's because we don't have our armor on. This strongly implies to me, reading from my notes here, that without putting on the armor of God and keeping it on, a Christian will struggle in these areas. Now notice in Ephesians 6 verse 10, finally, did I explain to you about that word finally? Okay, you know what that means now, don't you? My brethren, and if I had the time, I, I can't get into every single word here, but the word brethren, it means more than just a fellow believer. It means fellow believer, all right, but it means like a, a kindred, like, like we came out of the same womb. In the Greek, that's what the implication is. That's when Paul says, my brethren, he, there's a closeness there that he implies with that Greek word. He says, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God. So what does that indicate to me? It indicates to me that so many Christians don't have any of it on, but some Christians just have some of it on. Wouldn't I look funny if I came up here and I had, had, uh, had uh, uh, half of my shirt on? Or I had my shirt and no pants, just my underdrawers. Would you? That'd be funny, wouldn't it, to look at? Now, we laugh about that and we think that could never be and he would never do that, but yet we do that all the time with the armor of God. It's Hanes, by the way. You know, I should have said fruit of the loom and they would have gotten it. I got to have a little fun. See, with me, you never know when it's coming. You never know when. I could be right in the middle of something serious and then throw something like that in. But wouldn't it look funny if I was up here in this pretty shirt and I just had my... Um, what does TMI mean? I had no idea. 
TMI. Too much, I gave him too much information. Okay. I learned something. So you didn't need to know that. Okay. I get it. But, but you see, we laugh about, we laugh about that. You know, and it would be silly if I came in here and I mean, I don't want to take my belt off here, but we'll, we'll get to that. Well, I'm going to, I'm, I can't get ahead of myself. This is so interesting. When you, when I teach about the loin belt, my goodness, it, uh, we'll get to that next week. This is so interesting. I'm stirred up about this. All right. Let's stay back on this. Now, is it possible to have part of the armory on and not all of it? I, I think so. So we'll, 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 you'll see that as we go. But now, he said, put on the whole armor of God, verse 11, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Now, how does, now you, oh, if you're taking notes, write this down. Get this. How does a Christian put on the armor of God? Now, that's a good question, isn't it? Now, now it's worth coming to church just to get the answer to this right here. How does a Christian put on the armor of God? For years, I didn't, I didn't know. And I even heard one guy one time, and bless his heart, he's doing the best he could. You know, he said, well, when you get up in the morning, you know, go through the motions. Put the helmet of, just go through, put the helmet of salvation on and put the belt on and all, you know, just go through those motions. That's not going to do you any good. I mean, if you do that, that's fine, but that's not going to do you any good. I think I've got the answer to this now. How do you put on the armor of God? Here it is. Ready? By understanding each piece of armor and walking in the knowledge of that piece. Did you get that? Now, would you agree with me that if you can't list any... Now, we've read, we've read them. We started the message with reading this, what the seven pieces are. Or six, but there's really seven there. I will show it to you. But if you, would you agree with me that if you can't list any of the pieces you sure enough don't have any of them on. Yes or no? So one thing we can conclude that if you're here today and you could list none of those pieces, what can we conclude? You don't have any of them on. How do you put the armor on? Now, this is not here to beat beat anybody up. This is here to help you. That's why the Holy Ghost has me here trying to help you to understand the armor, get it on, keep it on. To put the armor on, you have to understand what each piece is, okay? And walk in the knowledge and the revelation of that piece. So, like next week, we're going to talk about the loin belt of truth. I'm going to tell you everything I know about the loin belt of truth, everything the Word of God has to say about it. You'll see the loin belt of truth. Without the loin belt of truth, I'm going to show you what it is. And I'm, it's the Word of God. We'll see that. And without the loin belt of truth, all the other parts of the armory will fall off and not, not work. Just like if I took my belt off, guess what's going to happen? My pants are probably going to... Right? Why am I talking about that? I shouldn't be talking about it. It's an illustration. But do you understand the loin belt of truth? It's so important. You'll see that without the loin belt of truth, the rest of the armor doesn't work. So we'll see that. So how do you put on and keep on the armor of God? By what? By understanding what each piece is and by walking in the knowledge of that piece. Are you okay? All right. Now then, notice what it says here. Put on the whole armor of God. Do you know how to put it on now? Yes or no? Because if you can't get that, then there's no reason to go on. How do you put it on? By understanding what each piece is and what? Walking in the knowledge and revelation of that piece. Okay? You all right? Now, then the next thing is, he says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Now, you know, I've studied into this a little bit. The wiles of the devil. What in the world are the wiles of the devil? Well, much we could say. But in the Greek, the New Testament was written in Greek. In the Greek language, wiles, the word wiles means this. And I'm going to just keep it simple without delving real deeply into the Greek. It means this. Methods. Methods. And then it has the implication of traveling on a road. So the word wiles, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. That word wiles means methods or traveling on a road. Thus, the devil typically, now not always, but typically uses one method or travels on one road to attack us. 
Did you get that? They say, well, what, what road is that, Pastor? What does he do? Go to 2 Corinthians 2.11. I want you to see this. 2 Corinthians 2.11 says this. Lest, now the Apostle Paul writes this and he says to the church in Corinth, he says, lest Satan, who is Satan? He's a devil. Should take advantage of us. See, if you don't have your armor on, the devil's going to take advantage of you. Lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant, that means unlearned, of his what? Devices. The word devices has this meaning or implication, mind games, mind games. Realize, say mind games. The devil, in his attack against us, typically travels one road and guess what that lousy coyote the devil does? He plays mind games with us. Then that's for sure. Has he ever played a mind game with you? And he's played mind games with me. That's the road he typically travels in attack against us. He travels that road typically. Now, there's other things he can do, all right, which we'll point out as we go, but the main way that the devil, that the devil attacks us, the road that he travels is he, 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 he wants to pave a road right into our minds and play mind games and attack us. We'll talk about the fire. We, we read it earlier, the fiery darts of the wicked one. Those fiery darts primarily are thoughts. Have you ever had a thought run through your mind and you knew that wasn't from you and you sure know it wasn't from God? Who was it from? The devil. See, if you don't have your shields up and your armory on, the devil can pave a road right into your mind and he can play mind games with you and he can control you. If the devil can get a hold of your mind, he'll, he'll run your life. Absolutely. Now, the name devil means deceiver. Now, much we could say about the names of the devil. And if you're visiting today, understand this. Around this church, we don't run with the devil. We run with God. But you do need to understand some things about the enemy so you're not ignorant of his devices. Is that right? So if you're here today visiting, you think, well, this guy's talking about the devil. 99% of the time around here, we talk about God. We run, run with God, submit ourselves to God. Then when the devil does show up, we resist him and he does what? He flees. But sometimes you've got to talk about that mangy coyote because you've got to understand the enemy and how he operates so he can't get advantage of us. But the name devil means deceiver. And you know, as you study into the word devil, it means this, beating on something again and again, wearing it down until it's penetrated. And have you ever had the devil do that to your mind with thoughts? He'll beat on you and beat on you and beat on you with one thought after another and one thought after another. Does anybody, has anybody ever worried in here besides me? Something's happened and you start worrying and worrying and worrying. And you got a little cut on your hand and the devil will come and say it's cancer. Right in your head. How does the devil talk? Thoughts. And you know, you can wake up in the middle of the night. And what's the first thing that's there? That thing is, could be... Cancer. Or you have a little ache somewhere, a pain or this or that. Hmm? That's the devil playing mind games with you. Now, don't misunderstand me. If there's something on your body that you're concerned about, go to the doctor, have it checked. God's a healer and all of that. Say amen. But I'm just saying how the devil works. You get it. You get a little cramp or a little this or a little that. And you know the devil won't just... I mean, he'll come right in there and pronounce a death sentence on you. Did you know that? You need to understand that about the devil. And he'll beat on you and beat on you and beat on you and beat on you with thoughts. If you don't have your armor on, eventually he'll pave a road, as I said, right into your mind. And he'll play games with you and he will control you at his will. And sad to say, he does that with most Christians that I've met. Why is that? Because they don't have their armor on. 2 Corinthians 10.4. Look at that. 2 Corinthians 10.4. It's going to tell us something here. Now, I'm not saying that just thoughts is the only way the devil attacks. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying that's the primary road he travels. Because if, if he can control your mind, he'll control you. 
Now notice here in 2 Corinthians 10, 4, for the weapons of our warfare are not what? They're not carnal. That means they're not natural. And we read about the, the armory of God. Those are our weapons. We read about them in Ephesians 6. But now here Paul tells us something else about those weapons, the armory. They are not what? They are not carnal. That means they're not fleshly. They're not natural. That means this. You can't take your gun out and shoot the devil. Don't you wish you could? But you shoot, you shoot the devil all day with your gun and it, the bullets are going to just pass right through him. He's a spirit being. Though, though a fallen spirit being. When we get on the shield of faith, not today but several weeks from now, I'll teach you that the devil's not afraid of this book as long as it's in book form. He's afraid of this book when this book gets down on the inside of you and starts coming out your mouth as a sword of the spirit. That's when the devil gets real scared. Do you understand that? So the weapons of our warfare are not what? They're not carnal. So the armory is not carnal. It's spiritual armory. But mighty in God for the pulling down of what? And you'll need to know that strongholds, for the most part, I'd say almost all strongholds that the devil gets on us, guess where they're at? They are in our minds. And all you got to do is read verse 5 and you'll see it. Casting down arguments... And every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Now, who has to do that? You have to do it. How do you do it? By keeping your armor on. And you cast down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing what? Bringing what? Bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. You okay? So what are the wiles of the devil? They're basically the methods that he uses, the road that he travels to attack your mind, primarily to deceive you. You know, one of the worst things that can happen to a Christian is to believe the devil's lies because when you believe the devil's lies, that's when you become deceived. And that's what the devil works overtime is to get you to believe his lies. And the devil will not stop with one thought. What do we show you? He does what? He beats. And he, Have you ever had that dripping water? Huh? At night you're trying to go to sleep and the... How many has ever had that size of me? Does that drive you nuts? Huh? It's like, it's like the water torture. Huh? Now, you know, if I did this for another five hours, would that finally get to you? Start hurting my finger, I'll assure, assure you that. That's how the devil is now. He's persistent. How many of you hate the devil? I hate the devil. But he's going to just keep doing this until you do something about it. Oh, God, make the devil stop. God's already done everything he's going to do about the devil. God's not going to resist the devil for you. Jesus already defeated him. Can you say Amen. We've got to stand against him in the name of Jesus. Is that right? Or he's going to just stand there and do that till you go crazy. And he, you know what the devil liked to do to all of us? Put us in a nut house. Huh? And that's how he does it. Thoughts. So the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're mighty in God. What are they? They're those seven pieces of armory that we talked about that we're going to talk about. Now notice here, I've got a little time. Go to Ephesians 6.12. Quick, quick, quick here. Are you getting anything out of this? For we do not, Ephesians 6.12, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. That's demonic power, dear friend. Let me just say this. We don't stand a chance against the devil and his cohorts if we don't have our armor on. You see now why so many Christians are defeated and struggle? They don't have their armor on. 
wrestling is so we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. How many of you know we're not wrestling against our neighbors, our friends at work, our bosses, our fellow church members? It's against the devil and demonic power. Now, wrestling in the Roman culture, now listen to me, wrestling, they had three forms of sport, wrestling, boxing, and another one that started with P, and I can't pronounce it, so I'm just going to say the third one was a combination of wrestling and boxing. And uh, you had wrestling, boxing, and then a combination of both. And let me tell you something about the wrestling and the boxing in the Roman culture. It was not like the WWF on television. Now, my grandma watched wrestling on TV, and she thought it was real. I thought it was real, too, until I went to the Keele Auditorium into a wrestling match, and I watched it, and I could see it wasn't real. Although I did see Bruiser Brody hit Crusher Blackwell over the head with a steel chair from about 20 feet, and it sure looked real to me. Because I looked at the chair afterwards, the chair was all bent up. But the wrestling on TV is not real. Was that T? TMI? You didn't want to come to church and hear that. You wanted to think it was real, right? Granny Clampett thought it was real. Remember? Remember she saw it on TV? She had Jethro drive her down to the arena and she went in and whipped the Boston strong girl all by herself. How many remembers that from <laughs> That was good, wasn't it? You ought to be sitting there hanging on every word here now, I'm telling you. Now we thought it was real. But it's not real. Now, boxing is, is, is real. Muhammad Ali, that stuff was real. Is that right? But why am I saying this? Friends, the boxing and the wrestling that they did in the Roman world made the stuff that you see in the boxing ring look like child's play. This stuff here was fights to the death. This stuff here, when they went in, the boxing gloves they had on had nails in them. They, the boxing gloves they had on had like, have you ever seen a hunting knife with that serrated edges? And anybody's ever seen that? That's a cut spikes and nails. I mean, they went in, there was no referee, basically. There was no rules. And when they, I mean, they would, it was very common to see some, uh, one of their boxers get his eye knocked out laying on the floor. They'd gouge, they, there were no rules. This was for real stuff. Why is Paul bringing this word in because that's what we're, that's the, that's the deal, that's the, that's the confrontation we have with the devil. You need to understand something about the devil. He wants to kill you. He doesn't want to just run a crazy thought through your head. He wants to kill you and your, and your children. You need to understand that about him. And they would fight until one was dead or would submit in the ring. And they'd fill large stadiums there in the Roman world. Now I have this little note here. I think it's worth saying. Large stadiums were filled to watch Christians. Now there was boxing and wrestling and all that. But you know they also, so, so the people would come to watch these wrestling matches and, and, and boxing matches and, and they'd fill the arenas just like they fill the sports stadiums today. Now, it's not as bad today, but how many of you know those concussions those football players get are pretty bad, aren't they? But large stadiums, these same stadiums were filled to watch Christians of that day get fed to wild animals or to fight against Roman gladiators. had a discussion about my wife with this the other day. What kind of a Christian are we? Are we a real spiritual follower of Christ Jesus? And are we in the arena dealing with the wild animals and the gladiators? Or are we just a carnal Christian excited to be sitting in the seats watching the carnage on the field? Sad to say that so many Christians that I have met over the years, they, they call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, but there's not enough evidence in their everyday life to really convict them of being a Christian. And you wouldn't see them necessarily even qualify to be fed to the lions. I don't know, I'd like to be qualified to be fed to the lions. How about you? 
I'd like to, I'd like to be there. I'd like there to be enough Jesus in me that, that I'd be qualified to be fed to the lions. Rather than just some carnal Christian that comes to church once in a blue moon or, you know, sashays in and sashays out, puts a little tip in the offering, doesn't volunteer around the church, but will sit in the stands to watch the real warriors of Christ get fed to the lions. What kind of a Christian are you? He got real sober real quick, didn't it? One of the reasons this church isn't packed full of people is because I say things like that. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Let me read from my notes. The devil's kingdom is evil. Listen to this. It's evil, it's terrible, but it's organized. We just read, what are we wrestling against? Principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness of this age against spiritual hopes of wickedness in heavenly places. If you study into this, you see that the devil's kingdom, though dark and evil and terrible, it's organized. Unlike so many Christians. That's why the devil wins so much victory over Christians is because of so much disorganization. From studying the devil, remember when I was up here doing this? That's pretty consistent, isn't it? The devil, though I hate him, he's terrible. One thing I will say, he's consistent and he's organized. I'm going to read from my notes. From studying the devil, he's the kind of person who comes to church every time the door is open. Unlike so many Christians. Let's be, let's, I think our church attendance ought to be better than the devil's. What say you? doesn't mean you're here every single time. Nobody can be that. do that. You go on vacation, this, that, and the other. But do you know most Christians in this nation attend serious, what we think of serious Christians, only come to church four out of six times. I'm sorry, four out of ten times. Four out of ten. What is that? Forty percent. Four out of ten. I'm sorry, four out of ten. Maybe that four out of six might have been more by the Holy Ghost than I thought, but four out of ten. Isn't that sad? I want my attendance record to be better than the devil's. How about you? Four out of how many times? Ten. That's how many percent? That's four. You can't get all that God has for you. Forty percent of the time. I'm going to teach you when we get into that loin belt. See... Most Christians want the pastor to put the loin belt on them. We'll get into this next week. I'm not here to put the loin belt on you. You're here to put the loin belt on, or you live and you, you get up in the morning, you live your life, you put the loin belt on, you come here and guess what I do? I just tighten it up a little bit. Did you get what I just said? See, most Christians want the pastor to dress them, to dress them for, would it be silly if I had to come over to your house and dress you in your natural clothes? That, you'd, you'd laugh at that, wouldn't you? But yet most Christians expect to come to church four out of ten times and have the pastor dress them. No, no, you should put on the whole armor of God and keep it on all the time. And then all you're doing is you're coming to church for me to tighten it up and, and make a little... Have you ever seen somebody put on a tie? I put my tie on and my wife might do a little, you know... She, who put the tie on, me or her? I put it on, all she did was a little adjustment. See, that's all I'm really supposed to be doing. You should have your armor on all the time. You should be ready to stand against the wiles of the devil all the time. And then you come here, and all I'm supposed to do is take the Word of God and tighten a few things up on you. Can you say amen? But most Christians, I have to say it again, they want to come and have the pastor dress them. Do you see why so many Christians are defeated? Do you see that? Now, we're going to close by saying this. Verse 13. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all the stand, stand. Now, I, now I, could have, I could teach on the principalities and the powers and all of that and the rulers of the darkness, but that's demonic power. So that's enough said on that. But I want to close this message by saying this. He says here in verse 13, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and haven't done all to stand. I want to show you as I close here that Jesus has already defeated the devil. Can you say amen? 
But the question we're closing with is, since Jesus has already defeated the devil, why do we need God's armor? Now, we'll close with that question. Go to Colossians 2.15 very quickly. Notice what the Bible says in Colossians 2.15. It'll be on the screen. Colossians 2.15 says, Jesus disarmed principalities and powers. We just read about those. Having made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. That word disarmed means he spoiled them, he brought them to naught, he stripped them of, of authority. Can you say amen? And he triumphed over them in it. What? In what? In his redemptive work. Through his death on the cross, his shed blood, his resurrection from the dead, he triumphed over the devil. He spoiled him, he stripped him, he brought him to naught. Say amen again. That, that, it's, all right. Now look at Ephesians 1.19. Look at Ephesians 1.19. Go there. Ephesians 1.19. Notice this. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe? I believe in here, do you? According to the working of his mighty power, which God the Father, is, which he, God the Father, worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above, say far above, far above all principality and power and might and dominion every name that's named not only in this age but also in that which is to come and he put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church which is his body the fullness of him who fills all in all and I can say amen to that what do we learn from those verses that Jesus has already completely and totally defeated and whooped and stomped and stripped the devil from all of his authority and power isn't that wonderful so if that's the case, why do we need God's armor? Well, the New Testament makes it clear that even though Jesus has defeated the devil, the devil is still known as the God with a small g, the God of this world system and the prince of the power of the air. Is that not correct? And the Bible says in 1 Peter 5, 8, 1 Peter 5, 8, it says to us Christians, Peter says, the Holy Ghost through Peter says, be sober, be vigilant because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. One translation says, seeking those who will give him the permission to devour them. The devil can't devour you if you won't give him permission to do so. But when you don't put your armor on, guess what? You're giving the devil permission to what? To devour you. You understand that? And if we're ignorant of his devices, then he can devour us even though Jesus has defeated him. So let me say it to you like this. Has Jesus already defeated the devil? Yes or no? Yes. Jesus in one of his parables said, Occupy until I come. Have you ever seen where there was a war going on between two countries and the one country's army beat the other country. Have you ever seen that? And you've studied about that. And then once that other country has been defeated, the army that won, typically most of them will leave, the soldiers will leave, but they won't leave completely. They'll leave what's called an occupying force. Yes or no? And if you don't leave that occupying force a force that has weapons, if you don't leave them there, guess what? That defeated country will what? Rise back up. Is that correct? So in the same way, can you see that Jesus came and he defeated the devil... He was, through his, through his death on the cross and his precious shed blood and his resurrection, we just read it, he came out of the tomb and he said, all authority in heaven and in earth has been given unto me. Is that right? And, and he goes back to heaven, but before he goes back to heaven, he delegates that authority to the occupying force, the church, and he says, you take my name and you go into all the world and you preach the gospel. You cast out the devil. You lay hands on the sick. They'll be recovered in his name. Did he not say that? So you see, has the devil been defeated? Yes. But we as Christians, we are left here as an occupying force to enforce the victory that Jesus has already won. Can you say amen? So do you see that Jesus has already defeated the devil? Yes, completely. But you see, 
we are left as an occupying force. We are left with spiritual weaponry that we are to stand against the wiles of the devil and hold the devil at bay until Jesus returns, right? And again, what if the occupying force lays down its weaponry? What's going to happen? The, 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 the country that's been defeated will do what? Rise back up. And it's sad to say so many Christians, Jesus left us here with all authority in his name and, and his armor. And so many Christians can't even tell you what the pieces are. And you see why the nation is in the state that it's in. Oh, but thank God, I, he's, some things are starting to turn around. I said some things are starting to turn around. Let's keep standing and praying. Can you say amen? amen? But you see, we're left as an occupying force. So do you see now why we need the armor of God? You see, there's two extremes. One extreme says, and listen, some people say, we've got to go out and defeat the devil. No, no, no. He has already been defeated. We enforce Jesus' victory over him. The other extreme is, is that Jesus defeated the devil, so there's nothing for me to do. And that's wrong also. See, we must put on the whole armor of God and enforce Jesus' victory over the devil on this earth. So don't get in the ditch on either side. Don't go out and say, I'm going to go out and pick a fight with the devil and I'm going to defeat him. No, he's already been defeated. You stand in the armor and when he shows up, you resist him. You go out and set people free, lay hands on the sick, cast out the devil, so forth, you see. And then don't be like, don't get in the ditch on the other side and say, well, Jesus has done it all and I have nothing for me to do. Well, yeah, Jesus defeated the devil, all right, but we're the occupying, real loud say occupying force. We're the occupying force. We're supposed to stand in that armor, put it on, and stand against the wiles of the devil. Did you get anything out of this today? I went a little bit long, but I don't apologize for it. You need to know about the armor of God. So come back next week and we'll talk about the loin belt of truth. Stand with me if you would. How do we put the armor on? We learn about each piece and we walk in the knowledge of it. So this was just introduction here today. Next week we'll get into that loin belt of truth. Hallelujah. We'll get into that loin belt of truth. And be in prayer for me that God will give me utterance to speak boldly and say what it is I need to say about the loin belt of truth. Will you do that? Center your faith in. Use your faith just like you'd lose, you like somebody use a like a doctor would use a laser. Just just on purpose believe that Pastor Terry will be given the utterance to speak and get across to you what the Holy Ghost wants to get across to you from His holy written word concerning this loin belt of truth. We need some Christians to put on that loin belt and speak the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. We need some truth. We need some truth to rise up in this nation. What do you say? Hallelujah. Well, Father, I thank you for helping me preach this today. I thank you for these precious people that are here that listen to your word. And I'm just believing that we're all gonna grab 